Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want to ask you if you will to join me in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And um, I'll begin reading with verse number 9. And um, I just want you to help me if you will tonight. I don't think preaching, ministering the word of the Lord is a lecturer-student experience. I believe we ought to make the journey together. Amen. Let this be a let this be a group effort tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse number nine. The writer Solomon says, "What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail." which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Amen. I realize that sometimes jumping into a passage of Scripture We can get a little bit lost, especially in the King James language here. But if the Lord will help us, I believe that he can speak and minister something in in our heart. The verse 11, uh, not to get ahead of myself, but I want my title to make sense. The Bible says he has made everything beautiful in his time and he has set the world in their heart. Other translations uh, interpret the word world there as eternity. He has set eternity in their heart. And I want to use that as my subject this evening, eternity in the heart. God bless you, and you can be seated. I appreciate the good spirit of worship that we have felt here tonight. As we read through the book of Ecclesiastes, if you are familiar with uh, this book, you're going to agree that we read a phrase over and over. And that phrase is Solomon using the term under the sun. Under the sun. That seems a little peculiar to us. It's not necessarily how we would um, perhaps couch something or, or try to form a thought in somebody's mind. We would most likely, when we hear under the sun, uh, we would probably interpret that in a more literal sense. But Solomon was using this phrase as an all encompassing statement to summarize his life. It was as though Solomon is trying to grab the two bookends of his life and pull them together in just a few words. And so if we could just perhaps look at this under the sun as the parentheses that held the sum total of his life, certainly his adult life. However, in our text tonight, it seems as though Solomon has lifted his sights. I've I've really enjoyed reading through the book of Ecclesiastes through the years and we see these ebbs and flows but right here in chapter 3 it seems as though Solomon has 
lifted his sights at least somewhat because for a moment he's no longer considering or just looking at life or things under the sun. He's no longer just looking at his life in, a, in that sense and he brings God into the picture. And when he did, as it always does, when you bring God on the scene, it just completely changes our perspective of things. I appreciate that about the Lord, not just uh, someone praying for us, but there have been times that perhaps we have felt a little bit anxious about things and we just begin to read the word of the Lord or in the days that we're living in, we're so privileged, you can pick up your smartphone or some kind of tablet or device and just have an audio version of the Bible and they, those words just seem to be uh, soup for the soul. It can just help us in those times. I'm thankful for the word of God. In verse 9, Solomon seems to repeat the opening question that he posed in chapter 1 and verse 3, which he says, What profit hath a man of all of his labor which he taketh under the sun? Or what profit hath a man which he uh, has spent in the duration of his life? What profit? He's asking a very important, but he's really asking a very sobering question. Now, again, we think about the writer Solomon. I think it's very important to keep in perspective where he is in his life. We, we see Solomon writing uh, at different phases of his life. The book of Ecclesiastes is the latter part. Of his life, And so we're looking at a man, and I'm not at all trying to sound morbid, but we're looking at a man looking at the end. And so this is a very reflective book. I'm not suggesting he was standing at death's door when he penned these words, but he was in a very reflective season of his life. And so he's asking a very important and sobering question. And that question, if we were to perhaps put it in our vernacular today, we would ask it, this way, we would ask, is all of this labor really worth it? Is it really, was it really worth all the trouble? And I want you to forgive me for just a few moments, but to some degree, Solomon was asking a question that could have a, a few morbid overtones. Because if we were to extract out of life, somehow, if we were just to be able to extract for just a moment, all of the emotion, if we could extract uh, relationship, if we could extract, extract love and, and hope and all of those things, if we could just somehow with a pen knife cut all of that out and we were to look at life through the wrong lens, it could almost seem that life, especially in, in our Western culture, it could almost seem like that life doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm not going to dismiss right now unless you <laughs> all go home and go jump in the river somewhere. But we live out our youth wanting to be old. Amen. We, we want to be older. We just want to be 12 because that's a preteen. Then you want to be 13 because that's a full teen. Then you want to be 15 because then you can get a restricted driver's license. 16 will get you a whole driver's license. And on and on and on, the, the whole gauntlet goes. And then we live out senior years wishing that we were young again. We just can't seem to get it together. You work to get money, but when you get all the money, the money is already spoken for, so you pay all the bills and then the money is gone. That means you've got to get up next week and just do it all over again. Please don't leave yet. I'm going somewhere. 
somewhere, somewhat aware, you know, even at that moment, what the outcome is going to be. We're going to work another week, get more money, pay more bills. It's all going to be gone again. And uh, I did bring more than one color of paint. It's not just gray tonight. We work to be able to retire, but then sometimes people miss the beauty of that season of their lives. Or better yet, they find other things to occupy their times that they used to spend working. <clears throat> True story, two old friends ran into one another. They hadn't seen one another in many years. They ran into one another one morning in a restaurant eating breakfast. One man said to the other, he said, well, I didn't know that you had retired. And his friend said, well, I had to. He said, I couldn't work and keep all my doctor appointments. There's a measure of truth to that, right? <laughs> we can't do both. Can't do both. And so it would just seem if we looked at life through that lens and this godless lens in this relationship, in the absence of relationship and love and hope and all of the things that season life as it should be and balance it, it would seem that Solomon has a point. Is it really worth it? Is all this labor, is it worth it? And then it would be a dismal world, of course, without God and all the wonderful things that he gives us along the way. So here is Solomon. In, in light of this new revelation, he gives us three answers to, to the question. I believe first he says that man's life is a gift from God. I, I really believe that we should thank God every day for the breath in our lungs, <laughs> the blood coursing through our veins. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And so Solomon says it this way in our first verse. He said, I have seen the travail which God hath given the sons of men to be exercised in it. And so in view of the tra travail that we experience from the day-to-day, -day, life may seem like a strange gift. However, life is God's gift nonetheless. The life that God has given you and I. Let every man run the race or everyone run the race that is set before them. And so God knew before uh, this, whatever path you're walking down, whatever path we're walking down, before we ever got to this intersection called today or right now, God knew that we could handle this or he would not have allowed us to be here. Amen. And so life is God's gift just the same. Regardless if it is not what we want or what we expected. The King James Version of the scripture uses the word exercise, but other translations use the word occupy or busy. Or in other words, one writer said that we would, we would exercise ourselves, or one said we would occupy ourselves, and another said we would busy ourselves and uh, trying to explain all the enigmas or the mysteries of life, just exhaust ourselves trying to figure out why, where, how, and, and, and trying to claw our way out of a corner that God may have us in. Amen. Because he knows what's best. But truthfully, we're not always successful at explaining why we are where we are or understanding why we are how we got to this exact point in our lives. But if we, by faith, can just accept life as a gift and thank God for it, Amen. Are you with me now? We will have a better attitude, but we will have a better attitude and a better, better spirit about the burdens that do come our way. Because in this life, you shall have tribulation. And so Solomon was trying to explain that 
that this that this in this life there are some things that God has given us that we can exercise ourselves so that we can understand we're going to see a dimension of God sometimes through the things that we face in life that we would have never known had we not been on this trail. Never known that. Psalms 118.24 says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Not necessarily be glad because of it, but we're going to be glad in it. If we grudgingly accept life as a burden, then we're going to miss the gifts that can come our way. We've all found ourselves at strange places. We didn't know why we were there. Sometimes that could be physically, a literal place. Uh, a car breaks down. I've told the story many times through the years of our car breaking down and it just made no sense that this happened the way it did, when it did, and, and unfolded all. It was so so premature. The thing that happened to our car should have never happened at that moment according to the mileage and the maintenance and service and things of that nature. But you see, the Lord had a man working for AAA on that Sunday afternoon that needed to be witnessed to. And I didn't know that. I didn't realize that when I was standing on the side of Interstate 75. I didn't understand that till way later on. But an hour or so later, it dawned on me that the Lord needed somebody to talk to this man about, the, about him, to share and be able to express the goodness of the Lord. I wouldn't have been there had it not been for that. I know that's a trivial example against perhaps where you feel like you may be tonight. Amen. But I will tell you that we can't understand everything that happens, but I'm going to rejoice in this day, not because because of it, but I'm going to rejoice in this day. It's the day that the Lord has made. But if we begrudgingly accept what comes our way, then we may miss the beauty of what God is really trying to give us. Our outlook, someone says, heard this many times, I'm sure, helps determine our outcome. Secondly, and this is sort of the heart of where we are tonight, Solomon says that a man's life or a, a humankind's life is linked to eternity. 311, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man, no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end because God has put something in the heart of man. According to Genesis 1, 26 through 8, man was created in the image of God and was given dominion over all creation. Therefore, mankind, humankind, is different than all of the rest of creation. We are radically different. Because many reasons, but because mainly God has put the world, or God has put eternity in our heart. Amen. That's an undeniable link. There is an undeniable link between God and man. No link. That, that You don't find that link with any other aspect of creation. Birds and grasshoppers and earthworms, they don't have a soul. They just live and die. Amen. They live and die. There's no eternity that is set in their heart. When God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke them into existence. But the Bible says that God formed man. There's a difference here. God spoke, he said, and it was. He said, and it was. He said, and it was. But when it came to the likeness of himself, he formed man in the dust of the earth. And then something very significant 
and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And watch this. And man became a living soul. We are not like a dog. We are not like a cat. We are not like a horse. We are not like any other creeping, crawling, flying, swimming thing on this planet. Something divine was placed in our heart or in the spirit of man. And so that explains why no one and not even Solomon could be satisfied with his or her achievements or endeavors in life. This is why we can't quite get our mind around the things of this world. You should not feel odd that you feel odd. We should feel odd if we didn't feel odd because there is eternity that is placed in our heart. This world is not our home. We really are passing through. It's more than a song bound in a hymnal. Amen. We are not designed to find our satisfaction here. Amen. Yes, sure. And absolutely we love our friends and we love our family and we love our homes. But somewhere beneath all of this stuff, we're aware that there is something much larger than us. There is a longing that can only be filled, amen, when we come into the presence of the Lord. I'm just gonna tell you what I believe tonight, what I believe that I know. I believe that I know you're not here this evening because it's Wednesday and because it was 7.30 and you just felt some obligation to come to the house of God. You didn't want somebody to call and then check on you and ask where you were or why you weren't here. I believe that long before 7.30, something in your soul and your spirit began to stir and to wake. Hallelujah. Amen. You're not here trying to get your name on a roll or a gold star by your name. You're not here to be seen and heard or to be counted. You're here because somewhere between Sunday and now, there was, there was just something in your spirit that said, I need to be in the presence of God. You know what that was? It was not some weird obligation to a building or to a man or a ministry or to a church house. It was because God put eternity in your heart. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 God put eternity in our heart. Like Abraham of old, we are pilgrims and strangers. God accomplishes his purpose in time. However, it will not be until we enter into eternity that we begin to comprehend God's total plan. I believe that heaven is going to be filled with a lot of aha moments. I really do. I don't know how much time we're going to have to really take in streets of gold and gates of pearl. I believe we're going to miss a lot of that for a long time because heaven in heaven, it's not just going to be that 1,500 miles square, square miles. No, it's, it's not going to be that that captures our attention. I believe it's going to be all of those blanks that were filled in, all of those prayers that we thought were unanswered. Hallelujah. Amen. Can you just imagine people that you prayed for and people that, that people had prayed for you perhaps or prayed for those that are here tonight and they left this world by way of death in faith believing. They didn't know that a prodigal came home. They didn't know that a prayer went through to their neighbor or to their friend that they worked with. But one of these days in heaven, they're gonna be reunited. Amen, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think a street of gold is gonna hold a candle against a moment like that. I don't think a, a, a gate of pearl is gonna, it's gonna stand a chance against a moment like that. Amen. 
Thirdly, Solomon was quick to point out that he doesn't mean that we can't find no enjoyment on earth. And so I, I, that's why I wanted you to stick around. <laughs> Solomon wasn't just wielding some battle axe to say, well, just get over it. And this is how it is. I believe that we can see that in the, in the verses 12, 13, and 14 or so. He's not certainly in encouraging that we become uh, seeking uh, pleasure seekers of pagan things in this world by no means. But I believe that we can enjoy, and I believe that Solomon's underlining that we can enjoy God's gifts and the fruit of our labor right here on this earth. Amen. I believe that God enjoys when we in, are enjoying ourselves. I believe that God, it is God's pleasure to do things that bring us pleasure. I believe that the Lord is as moved as we are in all points tempted like as we. We don't serve a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We are serving someone that knows exactly how we feel. And so when we get a gift, when we get something that's special to us, I believe it's just that special to God. I believe that he enjoys us being enjoy, having an enjoyable moments and seasons in our lives. Amen. Solomon is stating that, that we can enjoy these fruits of labor. Amen. But let's be honest. No matter how difficult life may be at times, the Lord really has blessed us abundantly. Can I ask you a, just a straightforward question? Did you ever think you would be where you are? Amen. I, I know somebody may be thinking right now, well, you haven't seen my bank account. Have you seen the car I'm driving? Have you seen the tires that are on that car? But I'm just talking about, did you ever believe you would be where you are right now? God's been so good. Oh my goodness. Amen. But we realize in all of this goodness that, that life can be fleeting. James, the writer of the book of James is correct. Life is like a vapor here one minute gone. I mean, life is moving. Is anybody besides me on a fast train? <laughs> oh my goodness. Amen. But whatever God does, it's forever. And so we live for him and we let him have his way. Life is not only meaningful, but when we let God have his way, not only does God allow our lives to be meaningful, but, but I believe that when we surrender it to him, he helps our life to even be manageable. How else would we be able to balance the things that are going on? We've put it in his hands. So instead of complaining about what we don't have, let's enjoy what we do have and thank the Lord for it. One well-known pastor found out that he had, uh, was, was stricken with a debilitating disease. And so when he found this out, not in an act of faithlessness, he trusted God for his healing to the end. But when he was diagnosed with this, he made four resolutions and his friends said that he kept these four resolutions to the very end of his life. He said, I will never complain, and I'm going to always make sure that my home is kept bright. I don't think he's talking about the lighting, but the atmosphere of my home is kept bright. I am going to count my blessings, and I'm going to try to turn this into gain. That's my commitment. I don't know where this will take me. I don't know where this will lead me, but I'm going to make this covenant right here. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to make sure the atmosphere of my home stays healthy and balanced. I'm going to count my blessings day by day, and I'm going to try to turn whatever this is into some sort of gain. Amen. This is the approach that life Solomon that Solomon, the, the approach to life that Solomon is admonishing us to take. And I want it to be very, very clear that Solomon is not giving us some shallow, don't worry, be happy. No, no, no. 
Solomon is not prompting us to have faith in faith. He's prompting us to have faith in God. He's not offering some slap on the back. It's all going to be all right. You just name it and claim it. That's not what he is offering here. He's asking us to have faith in God. Because faith is only as good as the object of faith. Think about this now. The greatest object of faith is the Lord. And can I be bold enough to just make this statement tonight? You can trust God. You can trust him. Faith is only as good as the object of faith, but the object of our faith is not society. The object of our faith is not the economy. The object of our faith is not the government. The object of our faith is not in anything that man can offer. The object of our faith is God himself, and you can trust God. You can trust God. Our lives have a promise because God has made us a part of his eternal plan. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset, but eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. So if we fear God, we need not fear anything else because he is in control. And so Solomon, he, he gave his heart. The Bible says he gave his heart to search out and to see all the works that are done under the sun. Solomon, in other words, Solomon gave his life to trying to find happiness in this life. He gave his life. He spent his entire life. Solomon set out to prove his heart with earthly good. And so take the time. Take the time to read about his life. I promise you it's an interesting read. And when you do, you're, you're going to discover some things about Solomon. That he made great works. Solomon did some wonderful things. He accomplished some phenomenal, mind-bending things. Amen. He held not one thing, withheld not one thing from his heart that he thought would bring him joy. That's right. One wife, maybe two, maybe ten, maybe a hundred. Maybe 300, maybe 500. He withheld not one thing from his heart that he thought would make him happy. And yet, at the end of his life, in this reflective book, he calls it all vanity and vexation of the spirit. And so, so deeply did Solomon drink of, of the waters of all the world's pleasure. He drank so deeply of this in Ecclesiastes 2.12. He said, for what, can the, for, for what can the man doeth that cometh after the king, even that which has already been done? It's already been done. It's already been exhausted. There's no need for anybody to try any of this. I've tried it all. And you're not going to find it. That's what Solomon was trying to say. So what can a man have any chance of satisfying his heart with material things of earth when the richest and the wisest man on earth failed? Never a man like Solomon. He tried it all. He gave everything and came up short. So Solomon was trying to say, you don't need to waste your time on this. Why did he fail so miserably? After such an earnest and exhaustive experiment, a lifelong experiment, I believe the answer to that question is found in the statement in the center of our text tonight. The reason he failed so miserably trying to find hope in this world is because verse 11 said, God has said eternity in your heart. And you're not going to find it here. It's not here. You can't find it here because it's not here. It's not here. Amen. That which belongs to eternity cannot find the counterpart of the things which are only temporary. I believe that there is a time and a purpose to everything under the heavens. I mean, there is nothing defined by time that's not. But he said, 
There's nothing defined by that that is not vanity and vexation of the spirit if we compare that to those things that are eternal because God has put eternity in our heart for a reason. Now, <clears throat> it takes the attribute of eternity in the heart to contemplate the character of God and his work. We've got to have that characteristic in our heart to really be able to reflect and think about how incredible God is. You know, we've just overused the word awesome, but really it's true. God is awesome. The fact that God has said eternity in the heart is surely meant to be a powerful incentive to, incentive to seek those things which are above. Bishop T.F. Tenney was often heard quoting this statement. He would say, every bug is drawn to its own light. Our birds of a feather flock together. There's something in us that's just going to be drawn, just going to be drawn. And there should always be a kindred spirit in our heart toward the things of God, no matter what happens to us in this life. There should be something in our heart that is drawn toward God. So irrespective of maybe where we find ourselves on this path, we're just going to have to realize that we're really no different from a parakeet from Green Bay, Wisconsin. We understand that we're not home yet. Why do I feel the way I feel? Because I'm not home. Why is there this, this churning? This, I'm not talking about ulcers and anxiety. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that deep thing in our spirit. It's because we're not home. We're not home. Pootsie was her name. Somehow she escaped from her owner. And in time, Pootsie the parakeet, this is a true story, by the way, despite the weird name. In time, she was caught and turned over to the Humane Society. They exhausted all of their efforts trying to, to find the, the rightful owner. And when no one else would claim her, a lady by the name of Sue Gleason decided that she would adopt her. And so Sue Gleason adopted Pootsie the parakeet. Immediately, her and her new bird, her new friend, her new pet hit it off. They did everything she could think to do together with that bird. For sure, they were becoming fast friends. One day, out of the blue, just out of nowhere, this little parakeet that she would let out in her room did something so incredible. She flew over to, to Sue's shoulder, and while she was perched on her shoulder, she said something, the parakeet said something that would forever change their lives. This intelligent bird, for the first time, simply said, 1500 South Oneida Street, Green Bay. <laughs> And Sue Gleason was dumbfounded. She researched. She found out that, in fact, that address did exist in Green Bay. So she found the house 
knocked on the door. And she was met by a 79-year-old man named John Strubens. She introduced herself, and then she asked a very difficult question. She said, sir, do you own a parakeet? And he said, I used to, and I miss her terribly. With that, she went to her car, retrieved the parakeet, and when he saw it, he was overwhelmed. She shared the story with him of how this whole saga unfolded, to which he simply replied, you know what? She even knows her phone number. (laughs) (laughs) It would seem obvious to us tonight that this man had spent hours repeating that address in the presence of his bird. And there have been, may have been days he just felt like I'm talking to myself. But unbeknownst to him, something was taking root in the mind of that small bird. We don't know how long that bird was lost before someone took her to the shelter. We don't know how long she was in the shelter before Sue took her home. And we really don't know. I don't know how long she was in Sue's house before she repeated that simple phrase, 1500 South Oneida Street, Green Bay. But here's what we do know. No matter how much fun this bird was having in her newfound home, no matter how cool Sue Gleason was, I mean, her other owner was a 79-year-old man, with great deference to all 79-year-old men everywhere. But in this cool new environment where Sue would let her do anything she wanted to do, in the heart of that bird, she knew one thing. This is not my home. This is not my home. Now that story is not as crazy as you may think because you and I have an eternal Address that is affixed in our heart and our mind. And I know sometimes we fly around here and we act like we're having the time of our life. But you know what? In our heart, we know one thing I'm not home. I'm not home. As much fun as I'm having in Sue Gleason, in her home, and at this address, as much fun as I'm having right here, I'm not home. I know I'm not home. So we need to be very careful that we don't start acting like we are home. Amen. When my wife and I go to a hotel, she has a ritual that she goes through. I won't go through it all. (laughs) I know you want to go home eventually, but she cleans everything she can, and I appreciate that. I mean that. But we do everything but hold hands and sing Kumbaya, I can assure you. (laughs) And we may do that now. I don't know. But... um, We travel with a small diffuser similar to what we use at home, a larger one at home. But, and if it's where we can, this is what we try to do. We get to our hotel and check in, take our luggage up to the room. She cleans uh, those things that she's going to clean. And then she sets up the diffuser and she uses the same fragrances there that she uses at home. And then we go and eat or do whatever we need to do generally. 
And when we come back to the room, one of us will most likely say, it smells like home. I mean, an hour ago, it just smelled like another motel or hotel. But now it smells like home. But we know we're not home. We didn't bring any pictures with us set up on the dresser. <laughs> we don't rearrange the furniture while we're there. We don't change out the carpet because that's not what this is all about. We have something that reminds us of home, but there's something bigger that tells us this is not home. This is not home. I'll ask you to stand. Our musicians can just stay where you are. We know that we're just passing through. And you know, in all honesty, wouldn't it be a tragedy not to feel far from home? If you were far from home. A few years ago, after a general conference, we took a vacation. We had sort of planned to go north of Kansas where we were and kind of bend back around to the east. And, and um, we called Sister Jane Newburn and we were talking to her and they'd been that way. And she said, oh, don't, don't go east, go west. She said, go west. You're this close, you don't want to miss this. Well, I was thinking about home. <laughs> Not further from home. And so this is the truth. I'm, if I've told you this, I'm sorry. But we would travel that day and, and, and she would say, oh, if you made it that far, you need to go on. You just, you're this close. Every day she took us about five hours further west. Now, I'm not picking on her. It was gorgeous, beautiful. We would have missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime had we not done those things. But I, I will never forget the last night. We had gone as far west as we could go. We got to turn and come home at some point. We're in Idaho City, Idaho. And I laid down that night in the hotel room, and I turned out the light, and I just laid there, and I thought, I'm in Idaho. I'm a long way from home. I opened my phone and I just pulled out the map and I just looked. And I just thought, oh my Lord. I mean, we did it a little bit a day here, a day there. You know how it goes. And the next thing you know, we had trailed off. We were a long way from home. But it would be a tragedy not to feel far from home if you're really far from home. I'm thankful for that feeling. Amen. I'm thankful that it would be sad to feel at home when I was not at home. I was a long way from home, and home was in my heart. Amen. I'm so thankful that home is in our heart, aren't you? Amen. Lord, I love you tonight, and I thank you for the... This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.